Are you looking for something different to entertain your kids? Check out a new podcast for children. Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, is a weekly show full of time travel puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. Math is geared towards kids six and up, but can be enjoyed by the entire family. I love how the episodes are under 20 minutes, which was perfect for our drive to school. And my four-year-old really loved the episode, The Pirate Queen. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time-traveling adventures. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras' ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and so much more. New episodes drop every Thursday, and I love how engaging, funny, and educational the episodes are. Your kids won't even realize they're learning about math and problem solving. My son even said he wanted to finish the episode on our drive home from school. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to this episode. September is NICU Awareness Month in the United States. And in honor of this, I wanted to welcome mothers who have had children in the NICU. Um, You are listening to an episode where I'm talking to mothers who have had preterm babies in the NICU. Make sure you listen to the other episode with term babies who have been in the NICU. This is part of the Mother's Message series on this podcast, where moms can come on and share their experiences, which can hopefully help other families, and also spread awareness on what they went through. So I'm welcoming Laura Freeland. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. So, you know, like I said, I wanted to do the series, which is the Mother's Message series, to kind of have mothers on to talk about their experiences, because I feel like sometimes other mothers may be going through the same thing, and they just want to hear it from someone else. Um, it may not be the exact same story, uh, but also just to kind of spread awareness about things that maybe people don't realize um, from the things that we go through as moms if they haven't gone through the same experience. So I really want to thank you for being here, and I know this is going to be really helpful for so many people who are listening. Absolutely. Thank you again. So tell me a little bit about yourself and just a little bit about your story and your, you know, your children's story. Absolutely. So I am an ex-marketer and copywriter. I had big plans of going back to work after the twins were born when I was still pregnant with them and had no idea what was coming. But I'm now a stay-at-home mom, and I would say still an aspiring writer. So my twins are Vivian and Margot. They're mono-die twins, Mm -hmm. meaning they shared a placenta, but they had different sex. And they were born two days apart, which is going to be their fun fact for life, uh, at 22 weeks, five days gestation, and 23 weeks gestation, respectively, baby A and baby B. Was there anything in your pregnancy that kind of was showing you that they may be preterm or was it sort of a surprise? It was a huge surprise. My pregnancy was a normal, healthy pregnancy. I was sick, but that is no indicator that your kids are going to come prematurely. Uh, the twins were growing at the same rate, which that was the biggest concern because they shared a placenta. And at my 20-week scan, everything was normal. My doctor was super happy with everything. And... It was a huge surprise when I went into labor. I actually didn't even believe I was in labor. I was like, this can't be happening. This is Braxton Hicks. And I, if I'm being very transparent, I probably went to the hospital much later than I should have because I thought it's too early. There's no way that this is labor. And so this is obviously a surprise kind of going into the NICU, right? Because you obviously went into preterm labor, um, unexpected. So what are some things that you just weren't prepared for, for being a NICU parent? I mean, there are some situations where some parents are expecting a NICU stay. Um, Maybe there was something diagnosed in ultrasound when they were pregnant, but obviously this was a surprise for you. So what weren't you prepared for? Um, I mean, I'm sure it's loads of things um, with this whole experience. When we were admitted to the NICU and I first went up to see my kids, somebody, another mom met me at the hand-washing sinks. And she said, I saw your babies come in. And she was another micro preemie mom. Uh, She's like, it's really, it's going to be a roller coaster, but I just wanted to tell you I'm here for you. And she was super kind, but it's going to be a roller coaster thing. Even if somebody tells you the first time that you step into the NICU, especially for kids that are born extremely premature, that is something you 
just nobody can prepare you for the emotional roller coaster of basically every other week wondering if your child will live or die and the outcome of this surgery or that surgery. And then one of the biggest things, though, that I think is universal, probably for any parent, is the isolation of being a NICU parent. People who haven't experienced it just don't know, and they can't possibly know. And that combined with the fact that everything changes, what everything changes, I think doubly so, at least for me it did, because I was, these were my first babies. So not only did I go to the NICU, but I also became a mom all at the same time. And it's so much change and you're processing this, or maybe you're not. I feel that I wasn't necessarily processing it until much later, but all the while your kids are the focus of all of this and your very important emotional needs are secondary to the clinical status of your kids, no matter how much you try to prioritize them. And I think I wasn't prepared for what it would be like to re-enter the world after seven months in the NICU. Seven months. So seven months for both the kids or was one discharged before the other? One. So my baby A, Vivian, was discharged three months before her sister. Okay. Um, wow. Seven months. And I mean, that's a huge roller coaster. Wow. Oh, and you're right. I mean, you don't really realize, and you said it perfectly, that you're putting the clinical needs of your child over kind of what you're processing and what you're going through. Um, what was your biggest like support system while you were in there? Or did you have one? Or did you feel like going back, you could have had a better support system? So I think that's a very interesting question because my parents are incredible and they have been with us through every step of the journey. And they were in the NICU with us literally every day. Vivian was a vaginal birth and Margot was a C-section and it was just a really bad recovery. And so I couldn't always make it to the NICU for rounds in the morning. But my dad was always at the NICU for rounds to make sure that he heard firsthand what was happening. And it didn't happen, you know, at three o'clock in the afternoon on a phone call. So my parents were super supportive, but the twins were born in December of 2019 and the NICU shut down all visitation except for parents in March of 2020 because of COVID. And so overnight, I lost my physically present support system. And I would say that was probably one of the most tragic things that happened while we were in the Mm -hmm. NICU. I really, I couldn't cope for a couple of weeks after my parents couldn't be physically present because It was like there was nobody there to hold me up. Uh, Even though they were always there to listen, it's very different. At least it was for me to have somebody physically present with me. Because sometimes when there's that much happening, when there's that much overwhelm and that much to grieve and to be afraid of, it's nice to just have somebody hold you. Yeah. And I didn't have that for the last several months we were in the NICU. Oh my, Ryan was in the NICU in December of 2019 also. And the pandemic hit in March and I talked to my husband. I'm like, imagine, like you were saying, like imagine having gone through this if it was the time of COVID because already in the NICU, there's a lot of restrictions on, you know, when you visit and your hand washing and all the contact precautions that have to happen for safety purposes. And I remember being so frustrated as a physician with all of the precautions and, you know, it was flu season at that point. So it was like, you know, they already had those precautions and I was like, you know, I had to wear a mask because it was flu season and they hadn't changed any requirements. And then I was like the hand washing and I was like, of course I'm doing all this for my baby. But it's like, it really was very stressful. You're trying to just make it to rounds, like you said. That was hard. I mean, that I think people don't realize a lot. Like you're going through your own recovery. I mean, you had a C-section and a vaginal delivery. I mean, two. Um, And then you also have to make it to rounds and be present. And you're physically also recovering. I mean, it is really hard to balance that um, at a time when you are, you know, trying to celebrate having a baby and you're worried about their well-being. And, you know, what is the next few months going to look like? It's a really hard time. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to me that you use the word celebrate because for a long time, it was not something I could do. Yeah. And even the people saying congratulations felt so strange. Like, what are you saying to me? Mm -hmm. Do you understand what's happening here? But yes, it's all very uh, 
Oh, I mean, I guess overwhelming is probably the best way to put it. And I didn't realize just how overwhelming it was until I was able to step away from it and settle into something resembling a normal life. And then it was just like, oh, what just happened? Yeah. Oh, I mean, when you finally got the idea that they were going to go home, like, how did you feel? Like, were you excited? Were you a little nervous? Because you spent like seven months, you said, in the NICU. Like, how were your feelings when it was time to go home? So one of the things I didn't realize I had done to protect myself emotionally while we were in the NICU is I never let myself think about them going home. Mm -hmm. Like, I never pictured it. I never thought about it. I never asked, when do you think they can go home? Because I very much had it in my head that there was a huge possibility that they might never go home, right? Yeah. And I, th- I guess I knew, but I, I, I think I blocked out the possibility. I, I just didn't want to get excited. But one of the doctors said, I think maybe on a Friday or a Saturday, oh, well, everything looks great. If she gains weight tomorrow, we can discharge her on Tuesday. And I just burst into tears like hysterical tears yeah that surprised me because of what I said I had never even thought of the possibility that I would get to take my daughter home and he was so taken back he was like oh oh nobody's talked to you about being discharged so it was it's kind of comical in retrospect but in the moment it was this huge cathartic moment where I felt a relief like I had never felt before. And then with Margot, baby B, it was a little bit different because she came home a little more medically complicated with a G-tube on continuous feeds. And so there was a lot leading up to bringing her home to prepare. But I did have this moment when they said, okay, everything's ready, where I was like, okay, let's go. And my husband was like, well, I want to take a picture here. And I want to take, I was like, no, let's go. Like before somebody (laughs) changes their mind, let's get out of here. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, that whole picture thing. I mean, I remember being so, you know, people take pictures when their baby's born. I mean, the pictures that we took were so different than what I would expect. I think it's a lot of it's just expectation change, right? Like you have a vision, maybe, you know, for you, like going to term. And for me, it's like, hey, you're going to have a healthy baby and they're going to go home and they're not going to be on like all this stuff in the ICU. And then you literally are just like, what? It's like, I I described it as almost as if I was up above my body looking down sometimes. Like I almost didn't feel like I was actually there many times. Like I felt like it was surreal. Like, is this really happening was something that went through my head so many times. Like I literally look back at pictures and I'm like, did that happen? Like, obviously it did, but like, it's almost like a protective thing. I think your mind goes through in that, like, there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of worry. There's just a lot of like, what ifs, like you said, like what's, what is going on right now, you know, and healing yourself too, physically and emotionally. Oh, it is, it is a wild ride. Were there some things that were told to you from loved ones or maybe even the hospital that was helpful or wasn't helpful? You know, a lot of times when you're grieving, I mean, I'm going to use that word because sometimes this, you know, when you have a child in the NICU, it is a form of grieving, right? Because you maybe grieve the delivery you thought you had, a healthy baby. Were there things that were helpful or weren't helpful in terms of what was told to you? So for sure, there are so many unhelpful things. And I think part of that is because you're in such a fragile emotional state and you're trying to be strong that when anybody says something that is even remotely inappropriate, like you have no capacity for grace or at least, again, I'm going to speak for myself, I didn't. And so it was like everything people said was so annoying. Um, Like I said, congratulations was very annoying to me. Mm -hmm. I was Mm -hmm. like, you clearly have no idea what's happening here. Um, One thing that was super triggering for me is I can't wait to hold her or I can't wait to hold them because I didn't get to hold them until they were 43 and like 62 days old. Like I didn't get to touch them basically other than with a finger until they were months old. And so anytime somebody told me they couldn't wait to hold them, I was so angry. And then of course it's all going to be okay. It's like, the ultimate thing. Like you don't know that. So those things were very unhelpful. I think the most helpful things, uh, most of the most helpful things that were said to me 
were sent to me by our NICU team. And sometimes it was just a doctor who didn't say anything when things were so bad that he couldn't say anything helpful. And he would just like put a hand on my shoulder or when things were not going the way we wanted them to go, but the doctors knew that it would be okay. Yeah. I remember very vividly one of our neonatologists telling me, we are going to get her home. And doctors don't promise a lot in that very um, critical state that the girls were in for so long. And so it was so powerful. And this was given, this was very far along in our NICU journey that she said this. It wasn't like day four with a 23-weeker. She said it when we were pretty close to going home, but we just had a setback. Um, And so that was just so helpful to hear somebody who knew what they were talking about speak with authority. And then one of actually two of my favorite things that people said to me were one that the NICU is a place of hope. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine wrote that in a note when we were first admitted and it was something that I clung to a lot. And two that babies are so resilient and I have seen, so this was a nurse speaking to me and I have seen impossible things happen over and over and over again. So I think the things that were very helpful were people reminding me to hold on to hope. As a pediatrician, mom, and podcaster, I want to share with you a podcast I recently discovered. It's called Understood Explains, and this season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ertube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I listened to an episode called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 plans, and I learned so much that I honestly didn't know before. I now feel I can better explain these to my patients and their families and better support them in their neurodiversity journey. Navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences can be confusing, and this podcast helps to validate these struggles and provide actionable tips that are useful for parents, teachers, and clinicians. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood explains. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep No Mess meals. Chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. I absolutely love the spicy jalapeno, lime cheddar chicken, and mushroom chicken thighs with wild rice. Keep kitchen time to a minimum with Factor Meals because they're ready in two minutes, no shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleanup. I work from home and love the convenience and how delicious Factor Meals are. Head to factormeals.com slash pedsdoctalk50 and use code pedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code pedsdoctalk50 at factormeals.com slash pedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Oh, I love and exactly that that resilient and it's so interesting because I think before I had this experience, I probably said the same things that I don't want to be told now. Like after you go through this experience, like I think I had some of that toxic positivity language before I went through what I did. And then after going through it, I was like, "Mm, I can understand now why that can be hurtful or not the right timing. Um, And you speak about um, the things that just trigger you, right? And this is not stuff that I think people realize that you were saying like um, the congratulations, like for me, when Ryan was in the NICU, and people wanted to FaceTime and they had children, healthy children that were outside of the hospital, and they wanted the children to see Ryan. I lost my, my shit because I was like, I don't want to see your healthy child right now. Like it was this, it was this weird thing that I'm not that person, right? That's not who I am now. Like I'm not that person. But when you're grieving, I literally was like, I don't want to see that child because I had a healthy pregnancy and now I don't even know if my child's going to walk again. Like, I don't know. So I don't want to talk to a kid. Like it was so interesting because like, that's not who I am. Right. But it's literally who I needed to be at that moment because it was a very hard time. And it's like, you just get triggered and it's like, it's really important to respect 
and maybe ask, like, I don't know if this helped you, but what really helped me is um, a group of my girlfriends. I like texted them and they were like, what would be helpful to you right now? And I said, this is so nice because they would send me pictures. They all have toddler age kids. And I was like, if you can just not send me pictures of your kids for like a couple weeks, it would mean so much. And it was because I was so upset. And of course I love children, but when you're going through something and they stopped, you know, they said, okay, when you're ready, let us know. And so in that group chat, when I said I was ready, that's when the pictures came back, you know, because I just wasn't, I I wasn't ready. Like I wasn't ready to take that. And it's not anyone's fault. No one's intention is ever to be hurtful, but it's like, you need to kind of ask the person and say, how can I support you? Like, what do you need from me? Like, you know, what can I do? Not like, Hey, maybe I'll do this. And because everyone grieves differently and everyone may want something different. Like I communicate differently than you, Laura, you know? So it's really important to kind of maybe ask, I don't know if that was helpful to you or if that happened to you. So for me, I think it was so, so traumatic and so overwhelming. And there was so much happening that I don't even know that I could have told people what I needed for a long time. There did come a point uh, where I did feel like, oh, I know exactly what I need. And I will say that people were there and wanting to say things and do things and give things at the beginning. But when you're in the NICU for seven months, people forget about you. And I would say, going back to the question of what's helpful, don't forget about people because their quote unquote problem has become their norm because that doesn't mean that they're not hurting and that it's not hard just because it's been their life for the better part of a year. That is such a, yeah, such a good point. And you're right. And then that feels even more isolating. Yeah, for sure. And then the other piece, one of the things that I learned along the way that now I always remind people that if you don't know what to say, it's okay not to say anything, but there are lots of things that you can do that are always helpful. It's always helpful to send an Uber Eats gift card. It's always helpful to send a gift card to a cleaning service for somebody's house. It's always helpful to do laundry or to send a gift card for somebody to take out your laundry. Like those things are always helpful, no matter what the circumstances are. And you don't have to worry about, am I saying the right thing? I love talking to you about this because already you've kind of brought up so many good suggestions for people going through. What would you say? I know we've talked about a few things, but what would you say people just don't realize about the NICU experience or being a NICU mom? And even just kind of, you know, I know you said one of your daughters had, you know, the G tube and things after. Um, like, what do you think people just don't realize, or maybe you would want to share with people that may not be going through this experience? Just because the NICU is over doesn't mean the, I'm going to call it a battle, doesn't mean the battle is over and doesn't mean that things are normal. I mean, my daughters are, they're incredible. I mean, they defied every statistical odd. They're just like walking and talking and feeding themselves and huge personalities. And so they look normal to everybody. And but we can't go gallivanting around the world. They have no immune system and underdeveloped lungs. And I I think the severity of the situation is very hard for people to understand for a couple of reasons, right? I didn't go into great detail when I explained their clinical status to my friends and to my family, my extended family, because it's complicated. And I don't know that nobody asked me to go into great detail about their clinical status. And so I, nobody really ever understood how severe it is. You know, it's one thing to say, you know, they almost died or we don't know if they're going to live, but the complexities of that really uh, communicated or have different implications for when you leave the NICU. And so my kids look normal and they act normal and they're beautiful. And I post pictures of them on Instagram, but you can't come over and touch them, you know? And I think that's still like a hard thing for a lot of people to understand why they're almost two and we are still in hiding because RSV and a second surge of the flu and of COVID and uh, right. It's hard for people to get it, especially with so much fatigue. Yeah, your point is valid that it just never ends. And also, do you feel in terms of just kind of the experience that you went through, do you feel like you've kind of 
accepted? Is there still any grieving that you have? I mean, any of that emotional stuff that went into being a NICU mom when you were in the NICU, does that still carry with you and how you parent and all the things that you do? I mean, it sounds like it would, but I think people forget that that still exists, even like you said, once the NICU time is done. Yeah. So I went to therapy before the girls were even out of the NICU. I was like, this is going to be a thing for a long time. So let me start talking to somebody now. And so I've gone through many different seasons over the course of the last 20 months, including, I mean, I went through a phase where I was scared to cross the street with them in a mm-hmm. stroller because I thought, oh my gosh, like we made it this far now they're going to get killed by some idiot looking at his phone in traffic, yeah. right? Like, so I went through that. Uh, I've, and I've grieved a lot of things. I don't think it, either is that much lingering, but I certainly have moments, especially when I feel like I'm not being understood by people in my life who maybe want to see the babies or are inviting me to go out uh, where I grieve like what normal motherhood would have been like, or when I have to take my one and a half year old to go get blood work. That was a recent Mm -hmm. thing where I really grieved what motherhood would have looked like because a parent with a healthy full-term kid would never have to take their one and a half year old to get six vials of blood drawn yeah. and hold her down during that. Anything medical has lingering effects. Eye exams where I have to hold them down. Yeah. I, I really feel like, man, this just sucks and it's not fair. Yeah. If I'm being like really, really, really candid about how I feel about it, it's not a mature way to feel about it for sure. But it's when I just get jealous of people who have full-term healthy kids with normal toddlerhood. Um, and I sometimes can in my head get a little bit petty about it, but I have grace with myself. Like I, that it's normal that I feel that way. Oh, absolutely. And I think you're talking about things that are normal, like, yes, 20 months down the line, but also even in that experience. I mean, absolutely. I mean, we talked about this already, like the anger doesn't mean that we're not grateful for people having their joys, right? It's just that for us, I mean, going through something and having an experience that we go through, giving yourself grace and understand that this is a feeling I'm having. It's okay to have these feelings and I'm working through the feelings, right? Like, exactly. Like it's, it's totally okay. And I think we need to recognize that as normal and, and accept that for sure. I love, I love that you, you said that, you know, it's not yeah, petty. Yeah, <laughs> I find the anger is a byproduct of like having to be strong. I have to be strong for my kid, yeah, right? Yeah. Like she's getting her blood work drawn or she's getting her eyes examined. I have to be strong for her. And so instead of having a meltdown and crying like I want to do, it comes out as just being angry at people yeah. who, don't, who don't get it. Yeah, it's like a coping skill. I guess my last question would be, um, I, you know, I know they were in the NICU for so long. Did you experience any difficulty in bonding with them like after they came out like was that something that just was easy to feel bonded you know because I had difficulty bonding and a lot of it was my fear of something happening to Ryan um I was I don't think people get this but I was afraid to get so close meaning emotionally um that I had delayed bonding with him where even when we were home I loved him but I almost described that I loved him like a patient. I didn't love him like my child. You know, I love my patients, but I almost felt again, like that outer body experience that I was terrified of something happening to him that I was afraid to get close. Did you experience that at all? Yeah, actually, before I was even discharged from the hospital, I remember everybody in my family remembers because they were all in the room. And I said something to the effect of, I don't want to love them. Because what if they, because what if they die? Yeah. And I didn't actually, so for the first month they were in the NICU, I would go for maybe 30 minutes a day, but there was a point and for that reason, exactly. Right. I would go for 30 minutes a day because I did not want to get attached to them, but there was a point where Vivian got very sick. She had aspergillus, which is a, Mm-hmm. a fungal infection um and she was septic and they were cleaning her wounds out from the aspergillus they had to debride them and I thought if my kid has to suffer through this I just need to be here and suffer through it with her for better or worse and there was just like this instant shift but it wasn't a 
deep emotional bonding. It was like, this is my duty. Like I brought this kid into the world and I'm going to stick with her, whatever happens. And as a byproduct of that, I started to bond with them. Oh, this is so great. I'm just so happy that we were, you know, able to share this experience. And um, I'm just so happy that things are I'm going to use the word better. I know it's, uh, you know, obviously it's been a crazy journey. So I know that better word is can be a little loosely, um, you know, loosely used. But what would be your final message for everyone listening? You know, either whether they've gone through the experience of being a NICU parent or not, what would be your final message? Hope is crucial, Mm -hmm. right? So if you are the NICU parent, you have to learn how to hold your sadness and your grief and your desperation and all of the big hard feelings of the NICU at the same time that you hold on to hope. Mm -hmm. And if you love somebody whose baby is in the NICU, find words of hope. And that's different than words of encouragement. It's different than like fake positivity. Yeah. The nurse who said, I've seen impossible things happen, hold on to hope. Oh, and I appreciate that so much because I couldn't agree more that hope, sometimes it seems like it's hard to obtain and that you can't find it, but it really is what gets you through. And you kind of said it perfectly, like as a pediatrician, like I see so many NICU babies that I'm talking like ultra preemie, you know, like you said, like 23, 24 weeks that have great outcomes that defy the statistics. So many times I see this. That's why I love talking about and talking with NICU parents in that I understand at some point it really comes down to that hope that, hey, all we can do is do what we can to engage with our baby, but also rely on the hope that it's going to be what's meant to happen. And it's so hard to do that. Um, But I love that uplifting message. I just can't thank you enough for joining me today. It was such a pleasure hearing your perspective, obviously talking about your story. um, And I know it's going to help so many people listening. Thank you so much for having me. It was seriously such a pleasure. This episode is brought to you by the New Mom Survival Guide, an online digital course and community created by me, Dr. Mona Amin. Using my experience as a board-certified pediatrician and mom, I created this course to guide you through your first year of motherhood. From the foundations of parenting, newborn feeding, sleep in the first year, introduction of solids, and understanding child behavior and development, I will be your guide and support you throughout this incredible journey. Make sure to visit pedsdoctalk.com and be one of the first to get your hands on this incredible resource created to support and empower you as you embark on the joyous path of parenthood. Now I welcome Mariah, who is a mother of twins who are in the ICU. So thank you so much for joining me today, Mariah. You're welcome. I'm happy to to talk with you. So tell me a little bit more about yourself and a little bit about your story with your children. Okay. So we, like I said, we have twins, (laughs) which was a surprise. Um, We got married and about six weeks later, found out that we were pregnant, which was not the plan (laughs) right away, but it was very, very exciting. And so when we went for our first ultrasound, they were like joking about, I wonder, we'll find out how many babies there are. And we're like, oh, that's hilarious. There's only one. <laughs> and then as soon as they did the ultrasound, the doctor goes, yeah, looks like there's two. And I was like, oh my gosh, what are you talking about? There's two. He goes, oh yeah, there's two heartbeats. And so sure enough, there were two babies. Um, and so nobody in our family has twins until now. Yeah. Um, and so my pregnancy was super normal. I mean, I had no issues at all. Um, My doctor thought I would probably go full term. And I was a teacher at the time. And I fully anticipated going back for a month before the kids were born. I was like, no, I'm not packing my room because I'm going to be back and I'll pack when I get back. And at my 28 week appointment, everything went fine. Ultrasound was fine. Everything looked good. And they're like, okay, we'll see in two weeks or a month or whatever it was. And literally 20 minutes later, my husband and I stopped to get dinner. And I was like, we are so not prepared. We're in a rental house because we were Uh building a home. I'm like, we're not prepared. We don't have cribs. We have nothing. Like, what are we doing? We're not ready for these kids, but we have time. And my water broke (gasps) as soon as we walked into the restaurant to pick up our dinner. Oh my gosh. Did you, you realize that it was your water breaking or were you like, this can't be happening? Like what was your, what was your emotion at that moment? I 
just stood there. I looked at my husband and I said, I think my water broke. Wow. And of course, being a guy, he's like, are you sure you didn't just pee yourself? I said, no, no, I didn't do that. I, this is not the same. Um, and so we left and we went home and called the doctor and told them what happened. And they're like, you need to come to the hospital right now. So we did. And so I wasn't in labor. It was just, I think, a leak. I had P-prom, mm-hmm. so the premature um, rupture of the yep. membrane. So one of my twins had that rupture. So they told me, they're just like, you're not in labor. You're having very minimal contractions. You're not dilated. Like, you're not going to have them today, which was great because we were very scared that that was what was going to happen. But then they said, but you're going to be in the hospital until they're born. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and we want you to go to 34 weeks if possible. And I had never been in hospitalized. I have like severe white coat anxiety. And so, okay, so I'm going to be in the hospital. So we were in the hospital for, I think, 12 days, 12 Mm -hmm. or 13 days. And the rupture, I think, had sealed itself, actually. Like they said, if you go a couple more weeks, we can check it. And if it's fine, you can go home. But then I got a fever one morning. So I had a fever. And even after, you know, some Tylenol or whatever, like it came back and the baby's heart rates were elevated and my heart rate was elevated. And so they decided that uh, we needed to get them out one way or the other, um, just in case there was an infection. And so that's what we did. So how many weeks, how many weeks were they when they um, were born then? They were 29 and six. 29 and six. So right. The hope was to make it to 34 um, right. but because of the infection I see. So now, yeah. of course, this was like a shock then, right? Because you had a relatively healthy pregnancy. Yeah. No yeah. sign I mean, of the pre-prom coming. Obviously, that's usually what happens with pre-prom. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So tell me, like, what are, I mean, now, obviously, you had babies being born. Did you have NICU come down to talk to you when all this was happening? Like, what was the, you know, the happenings in the hospital to kind of prepare you, if anything? Yeah. So once I got into my room, they took us on a tour of the NICU. So we got to go to the NICU, which was on the same floor that I was on. And you know, met the head nurses and just kind of walked us through, like, we know your babies are going to be here at some point, you know, at this point, they're going to be, we just don't know how long. And so this is where they'll be. And this is what we do. And, Mm -hmm. and then somebody that also like doctors, and I think somebody from the NICU, then also came to talk to me in my room, just to explain to me, you know, that every day is better, you know, and of course, I got the steroid shots as well. Um, to help with the lung development. Yeah. I mean, we had a pretty good um, intro to that. And, you know, they reassured me that at this point, you know, the viability is very high. Yeah. And the longer that they're in there, the better. So um, I knew that we were in the best place possible, but. How old scary. are they now? Yeah, of course. Now, how old are they now? They just turned four in, yeah, in wow. July. Wow. Well, I want to get to how they're doing later, but my, my, I guess my first question is, so obviously now you have two babies in the ICU, 29 um, weeks plus. Um, What are some things that you just weren't prepared for? Obviously you already told me that you weren't prepared for like with the cribs and all that stuff at home, but just the experience in the NICU itself, like what were some things that were shocking to you? What were some things that you had to really learn fast or took you a long time to learn? It was a very, just a strange situation. I don't have any other kids. So mm-hmm. like my kids were born in the OR. I didn't have a C-section, but they were born in the OR just in case. Right. So there was like 30 people in the room with us. It was you know, two NICU teams and just all this staff, just not what you would expect or what you're anticipating for the birth of your kids. Yeah. Um, and so that was just, for me, that was very shocking. Um, and just not what I was expecting, not getting to hold them not getting to, you know, touch them or do anything with them except, you know, look at them. Hey, here's the baby. Yeah. What's her name? She's breathing. Okay, good. Now she goes down the hall. Mm. Um, and then I was not able to hold one of them for two days, which I know other people have much longer sometimes. But for me, even the two days was huge. Um, her umbilical line mm-hmm. was was loose. And so until they could get a pick place, we couldn't hold her in case the umbilical line came out. So we couldn't hold her. And that was really hard. And just, I never would have thought I'd have to just look at my baby in an isolate 
and yeah. not be able to hold her, not be able to get her out. Um, also, just the amount of work to get these tiny little babies out with all their lines and their um, IVs and all their all their cables and all their yeah. monitors. You know, it's like it takes you know two people to get them out and tuck them into your shirt. Um, and it's just to see your baby hooked up to all these machines. Um, we were very lucky that our kids were placed side by side in a bigger room so we could actually have um, two people come with us if we wanted. Oh, nice. So we had plenty of space um, for the first couple weeks and then we were in more of a normal NICU kind of situation. It's just very crowded. It's loud. It's a busy, busy place. It's, you know, doing pumping and nursing in like a tiny little chair and with a curtain. (laughs) Yeah. Not what you expect when you have a baby. Um, so totally it's a medical facility right I mean and, right. uh, there's so many NICUs designs right but the one I think you're talking about is where all the isolates are in a big room correct yeah and yeah. our hospital has like three or four little rooms but yes. they're all connected yes yes, yes. Yeah. and yeah. so so many ICUs are like that some ones have like where they'll have two babies in like an area or private rooms it just depends on the ICU mm-hmm. um, but so many of them have that group setting and it's just so that the nurse and everyone can kind of be in that same space if they a baby needs something. I had um, Ryan in the NICU and it was, you walk down there and you're like, again, trying to breastfeed, that curtain gets pulled down. It's so yep. non-intimate. Like you're, you're <laughs> literally like, it feels very cold. Like, I mean, if you felt very like medical, if that makes sense, uh-huh. like it, just, it didn't oh, feel yeah. like anything like that touchy feely, like, oh, I'm in a relaxed seat. My body like was super stressed when I was trying to breastfeed because I was, I mean, I had a baby in the NICU. I was stressed. Like it was so hard to relax to just breastfeed. Right. And I was like, and Ryan was crying. I was like, you know what, let's just keep trying. And yeah, but that, that breastfeeding experience was totally difficult. Were you able to breastfeed or did you do a combo or what was your feeding journey like? So obviously they were really way too small to yes, breastfeed to, take to the breast, correct. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think I started pumping immediately in the hospital so that I could, you know, get the um, colostrum for them. Is that what it's called? Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm like my brain. Um, so I started pumping immediately and sending it down to the NICU. And when I went home, I was pumping around the clock. So it was bizarre because here I am, I'm home after four days or three days, Yeah. but you leave with no babies wow. and you're not resting because you're still having to get up because you're engorged and just, you have to pump. Um, and so every day I would have to take, you know, whatever milk I had to be frozen. And they ended up, I think around 33 or 34 weeks, we were able to put them on the breast. Yeah. Um, and then, cause I would be at the hospital for like 12 to 14 hours a day. And so I would nurse each of them at least once while I was there. And then they were able to just, I had enough milk stored that that's all they got. They were exclusively breastfeeding or drinking milk, I think for like seven months. Uh-huh, and then, nice. Um, and then I did at some point have to start supplementing with formula just to kind of make it last longer so they could have it some milk because uh, eventually it just kind of dried up after about 10 months, I think. Yeah. But you're talking about like pumping, the pumping reality of uh, not having your baby with you. Yeah. I mean, already pumping for it's, a lot of moms is very difficult experience. Like some, yes. some moms love it, but for many moms, um, especially in this situation with the NICU, I mean, when you don't have your baby there, which helps stimulate mm-hmm. from a physiological perspective, I mean, thinking about breastfeeding. So how is that experience? I mean, I'm sure you're four years out. I mean, I get it that your children are now yeah. older. So you're probably like, yeah, it seems like so long ago, but can you like put yourself back to how that made you feel? Or was it, it hard initially? Like, what was yeah, it like? Very hard. Um, it's like isolating. Yeah. Like, you know, I had to do it all the time. When I was at the hospital, I could pump at the bedside, which was mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Or they did have like a pumping room um, where pumping moms could go. And so I could eat and pump and like have a space to do that, which was yeah. a little bit better. But then, of course, I felt you're separate from the kids, like you're not in there with them. So it just felt very isolating. Um, and it was very much a job. And even once the kids were home, you know, I had to trade out at night because I'm like, I'm still pumping yeah. and I have to feed these kids too. But if I don't pump, I have a problem. <laughs> so yeah. 
It was really hard. I mean, I luckily was like almost an over producer, so I didn't ever have a problem with production, which was good. Yeah. Um, but I did. I felt just like it was a job. It was like oh, a, full-time, yes. a full-time job. And when people came over, you know, who's going to care if I'm pumping or who's not going to yeah. care? And it just, and it was ultimately, it's my decision. But at the same time, like you just feel, I don't know, weird. Yeah, no, I, I, you know? I, I completely agree with that. I mean, that it's like you said it perfectly. It's very isolating. Um, you mm-hmm. know, breast already being a mom can be very isolating, like in, in so many different ways, being a new parent can be, you know, postpartum, whatever, but just being attached to a machine, going back to what you're yes. saying about like, going back to what we were saying about being in the ICU in general, right? It's very, very medical and a lot of like dinging and wires. And then now you're literally attached to a wire when your baby's yep. not with you. It's very isolating. So, you know, I'm so glad yeah. you, you talked about that. I mean, again, I'm, I know you're f- four years out, so it's like, it can seem even though it happened, like it can seem like it can seem like a distant memory. And then I'm bringing it back now with by talking about oh, this. Yeah. Um, but no, I totally resonate with that because I felt the same way being separated from Ryan and having to pump in the, you know, I was in the ICU, so I'd have to pump. And I was like, I, this is not fun for me. And like, you'd have to take home like a hat or something, like something that smells like the baby. Right. Yeah. Um, I so did that at the beginning. You yeah. had that. And I would literally smell it and I would just stare at the milk, like the slow, low amount of milk coming. And I was just like, this oh, isn't working. <laughs> this I isn't know. working. A lot of it is just trying to like learn to let it go, but it was so hard. This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with non-toxic medical grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, diaper rashes, and other types of skin damage. I discovered Active Skin Repair and their baby spray from my community when our daughter was a newborn and had constant diaper rashes, and it really helped and continues to help. Containing hypochlorous acid, which is an effective option for helping with yeast diaper rash, we just spray or dab active skin repair onto the skin with a clean cloth or cotton ball. Let's sit for 15 seconds and then apply our balm or ointment of choice. With over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews, you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and to get 20% off your order using code PEDSDOC. That's P-E-D-S-D-O-C. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. How was your experience with like the medical team, like communication um, with the ICU team and obviously, um, you know, everything happening with your babies? Was that okay? Um, Overall, it was really, really good. Mm -hmm. Um, The hospital that we were at is also like a teaching hospital. So we would have different residents that would rotate through and we'd have different doctors and just kind of different people all the time. The nursing staff was overall phenomenal. Just phenomenal. Um, I remember so many nurses and I remember only one doctor and it was a bad experience that I had only one doctor. So, um, but overall the nurses were fantastic and I'm sure it's this way at lots of hospitals. The nurses can take on primary babies where they're like always on your baby if possible for their shift. Well, we had four, we had four primaries who were with our girls. And so it was great because almost always we had one of them working with both of our kids. And so we just got to know them a lot. And the nurse who actually showed us around the NICU then admitted my one daughter, Aveline, 
And then she was her primary the entire time she was in the hospital for 10 weeks. And then she actually, and then she was her last primary before she retired. And she helped me put her in the car seat the day she went home. So yeah, yeah, the nursing staff was just incredible. And the doctor stuff, like I said, honestly, there were so many residents and the rounds were either early, early in the morning or late at night. And so we didn't often cross paths with the doctors. So it was like phone calls. Um, And so my only one doctor that I remember was a bad experience. It it was fine. I mean, it was just a doctor who didn't really know my child, who didn't know us and was trying to make some kind of pushy decisions right before she came home. So um, how was the experience going home um, with the girls when they finally were discharged um, in terms of like, how did you feel? Were you excited, nervous? Um, what was those first few months like? Because, you know, obviously they had been in the hospital for about uh, two months. So Kaya was in the hospital for only six weeks. Okay. And then Aveline was in the hospital for 10 weeks. Okay. Um, she came home right around her due date. Right. Yeah. I'm like trying to remember. So yeah, so we had a month in between where we had one baby at home and one baby in the hospital. So, uh, so that was really hard. Yeah. Yeah. We were super, super excited when Kaya got to come home because it was incredible. And I mean, she was so tiny, you know, they were like, they weren't even three pounds and they were born. So they were these teeny tiny things when they came home, but it was so exciting and also scary. And I don't think I slept at all the first night because we were so used to the, the alarms and the <laughs> alarms and, the yes, and like I know. watching, watching this, you know, oxygen stats and watching the heart rate, and seeing all this stuff. Uh, something that I didn't know about preemie babies is they make so much noise. Mm -hmm. when they sleep they sounded like little goats when they'd come home they made so much noise all the all night long and I think we only made it a few nights with her in the bedroom with us because I couldn't sleep I would constantly be looking at her if she ever made a noise I would wake up and have to check her and make sure that she was you know breathing and okay um but we were very lucky because my mom was living with us part-time when the babies were born. So she could stay home while we went to the hospital to be with Avalon. Oh, awesome. That's great. So that you had help, obviously. So yeah, it's, you know, I'm so happy that you were able to join me on this episode because um, the experience of having two babies and then the fact that you went home first and then one baby yeah. and then another, I mean, that's a lot to organize and think about. I mean, you have one baby home and then you have, you're thinking about the health of the other baby who's still in the hospital. I mean, it's a lot. Um, wow. How are they doing now? I mean, they're four. So they are amazing. Oh, I love it. They, I love it. Yeah. They are just the most incredible, smart, sassy, spunky. Oh, sassy. I love it. <laughs> Look, I, I'm going to be very honest. I've talked about this already in other episodes of the NICU episodes, but I feel like NICU babies are like fierce and sassy and like they're like I'll just do it I'm just gonna do things because I've been through everything already like let me just live life and that's it they're they're resilient like they're super resilient they're so resilient I I think that's what we just learned through the experience like how strong these little people are because they're so delicate and just Mm -hmm. so fragile but yet they're just these little fighters and my kids they weren't sick they were tiny and they had, you know, the normal kind of NICU things, feeding, growing and learning how to regulate the breathing and heart rate and all that stuff. But they weren't sick. So we were very, very lucky. Um, But the daughter who came home later, she struggled with that breathing, swallowing, maintaining her, you know, sats and her heart rate and and I was like, this kid's never going to come home. <laughs> she oh, just, yeah. she it took her forever to learn how to eat and breathe and do all the things. And now, I mean, she is the sassier of the two. And she's mm-hmm. the bigger of the two. And she will just do everything. And they're hilarious. I, oh, I, love, <laughs> I love this. I am like, I love, love, love my NICU patients. I mean, I know how delicate 
not delicate they are, but how delicate the whole experience was, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. there's a lot happening, whatever reason a family ends up in the NICU. Um, But I always tell my NICU families, we are going to give the best outcome for this child. And I, you know, a lot of my NICU parents that come in or I meet, um, you know, on my Instagram, people are like, I have a NICU baby or I'm worried I'm going to, you know, have a preterm baby. I, you know, I know how hard that can be, but I also really like to remind families, like what you're saying is that there's such positive outcomes with NICU babies. I mean, even the ultra preemie ones with Mm -hmm. the interventions that we have in the ICU and the love of a family, I mean, the developmental outcomes and all of the things that they are, like, it's almost like you'll go down the line, you'll be like, I can't believe that happened. Like I said, like, this was such a big part of our life um, being in the NICU, but you won't even realize it. They're going to be like these amazing, fierce children. I love, I love hearing these stories. Like I've had such ultra preemies in my, um, I think the most, when I say ultra preemie, like the most extremely preemie baby I had was 24 weeks. Um, That's my, that's the earliest I've had in my ICU. And that baby by two, same thing was like off of anything, like off, no oxygen, feeding on their own, running, talking. And I'm just like, it's just so awesome to see, you know, it's just so uplifting to share these stories. I understand that there are stories of medical issues and things like that, obviously, but Mm -hmm. it is nice to hear these things too, you know, like, Hey, there can be a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's our nurses. They were so helpful to me. I think to my husband as well, but really to me as a mom, even though I knew that it it wasn't anything that I did. Right. But as a mom, like, oh my gosh, like my body failed. And and like, you know, that that's not what it is. But of course, postpartum in your brain, you're like, no, that's not your body didn't fail. Like it's, this happens, this happens. There's a whole wing at our hospital for people with this problem. <laughs> like this happens all the time, totally. but you're there and you're, you know, you're sad because your babies are there and you're not, and you're pumping and you just feel like there's not everything that you can do. But our nurses were just so positive and so supportive and so sweet and helpful. Like, do you want me to help you change this diaper? Let me show you how to do it yeah. while they're in the isolate. Let me help you give them a bath here. I'm going to show you how to do all these things and helping breastfeed and just helping all the time and just being so positive. And so, you know, they're going to be fine. We've seen this before. We're in good hands. And even a year it was like one or two years after, I think my kids were two. I went to visit another twin mom who was on bed rest in the same hospital, in the same wing. And I was getting her coffee and a nurse came up to me and she asked me, if I was, you know, Mariah with the twins and she knew who I was and it was two years later and I didn't even know who she was. So she probably took care of my kids at night, but she knew who I was and she knew who my kids were. And I just was like, again, shocked at just the caring, yeah, uh, incredible nature of the NICU staff. I agree. Um, it was amazing. I think it probably made me cry in the coffee shop. Yeah. <laughs> how do you know who I am? I never saw your face, but oh no, they are awesome. they are. I mean, I've said ICU nurses, in my mm-hmm. opinion, are like any ICU nurse is like all nurses are amazing, but the ICU yes. nurses are like the cream of the crop. You know, the fact that they have to deal with such delicate situations oh, and such yeah. like a lot of emotions. I mean, there's a lot of emotions when we're in the ICU. So they are like yeah. therapists. They're therapists. They're nurses. They're friends. I mean, I agree with you completely. What do you think people yeah. don't realize about the NICU experience or being a NICU mom? Like maybe some family members, did they say anything to you that you were like, oh, you guys don't get it? Like things that you would wish people would know about the experience. Um, I mean, I didn't even have any idea about NICU life, you know, and people would ask, you know, about coming to see the babies and people were allowed. I mean, Mike, this is four years ago. So people were allowed to come visit, but it's different when your baby is, um, in the hospital like that, rather than at home, I just felt very protective of who I wanted to come or who I was going to, you know, let see that kind of vulnerable state, I guess. Um, the whole NICU was just not expected for me. Um, I, for some reason, as a twin mom, wasn't thinking I was going to be there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and so many people, everybody's like, you're going to be early. Your kids are going to be in the NICU. I'm like, no, they're not. They're, they're not. Um, so I was just shocked by the whole thing. Just the amount of, and then the amount of babies who are in the NICU, Yeah, I think was huge to me. Prior to being there, I would have never had any concept of how many 
NICU babies are there. And I think my hospital, we had 49 beds and every single one was like almost always full. Yeah. And that's only one of the major hospitals in my city. Yeah. What city are you in? What's I'm in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. So you're in a big, like probably a teaching facility. Yes. There's it's a big hospital, correct? Yes. And Mm -hmm. I mean, and we have a children's hospital here too. Mm -hmm. that has a huge NICU. I mean, we have many hospitals here and I just, there's so many babies that are in various situations and they all need help. Yeah. Um, I'm so lucky that we have, you know, what we have here. Um, oh, this is so, yeah, no, I, I, I completely um, resonate. And I always knew from the other side um, what the NICU experience was like as a physician. But then when you're on the other mm-hmm. side, I was like, you know, you get a newfound appreciation for everything that happens in that place. Um, you know, obviously there's things that, weren't lovely. I mean, I hated having to wear masks because it was flu season, like all these things where I'm like, my my baby was already separated from me and now I have to wear a mask. Like, like, I'm like, I'm flu vaccinated. Like I was so upset about it. Like, and I'm a physician. I know how this stuff works. Right. But I was so angry because I just wanted to see my baby who I had not seen for 12 hours. And I wanted him to see my face. Right. Like I took my mask down. They're like, you can't take your mask down. I'm like, I want him to see Uh. my face. Like he can't see me. And you know, they didn't care about the fact that I was vaccinated. Like I was right. like, I have the vaccine. Like I'm not lying. Like I would never, you know, just come on here. This, is, bo- this yeah. is before COVID. And I know how it's going right. now with COVID. I can't even imagine, you know. Um, I can't either. But <laughs> I, yeah, I, this is just such a great conversation. What would be your final message for everyone listening? Maybe someone who's going through something similar or who has gone through something similar, having twins or preterm babies in the ICU. <laughs> so I think this kind of goes along with the last question too. I was kind of thinking about it more. I think being a parent of any baby who's in the ICU, I think you're stronger than you know that you are. Um, I think you'll be amazed at your ability to get through stuff and persevere. But I feel like you also need to make sure that you take care of yourself. And that's such an easy thing to say. And it's Mm -hmm. so cliche, but I think it's so important and I think you can't stress it enough to new moms, but especially new moms whose babies are in the hospital, you can't have their babies at home with them. There's so much stress. I know that I had a lot of trauma from the process from just, Mm -hmm. just like mental trauma, almost PTSD, not exactly, but it felt like that. And I carried it with me for a very long time, even though my kids are healthy and even though So I feel like just, you have to take care of yourself. Um, That was one of the things that the nurses kept telling me. And actually the night that I, the night that I went home from the hospital and my kids were there, the lactation consultant nurse who was working with me, she said, listen, I want you to go home tonight and have a glass of wine. She goes, you're going to need to relax and just do something for yourself. Mm -hmm. She said, just go home. It's not going to hurt the milk. It's not going to hurt your baby. Just go relax and do something for yourself because they need you to be strong. Yeah. And I didn't know how strong I was until I went through that. Yeah. Um, And I hope everybody has a good team of people, but let people help you. Let people take care of you. Let people be there for you. And don't be afraid to ask for help, even if it's just to hold the baby for you know, 10 minutes or let you cry on their shoulder if you're stressed out and sad because there's just so many emotions with it. This is the kind of final message that I love just because it resonates so much, even if someone has not gone through the experience of being a NICU parent. This is something that all moms need to do, right? I mean, yeah. I love oh, this. I, I, I so appreciate this. I mean, this is just right on. Um, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. It was so nice chatting. And you have an Instagram account for your daughters, correct? <laughs> I do. <laughs> what's the what's the handle? It is at Higher Math Twins. So it's like you're gonna hire me okay. to do your math. So H I R E M A T H Twins. Amazing. And they're four and they're spunky <laughs> and I love it. I am just so they're grateful, great. Mariah. Thank you so much for joining me. It was just so nice chatting about your your experience, how the girls are doing. And I know this is really going to help so much. I love the mother's message series that I've been doing. And I'm just so glad that you could be a part of it today. So thanks again for joining us. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm always happy to share. I always hope can help somebody. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. 
Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. As always, please leave a review, share this episode with a friend, share it on your social media. Make sure to follow me at Pete's Doc Talk on Instagram and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Pete's Doc Talk TV. We'll talk to you soon. Have you heard about the terrible twos or three-nagers? Yes, the toddler years can be tough. There is no denying that any phase of parenting can be really hard. There may be picky eating, tantrums, and struggles with potty training. But there is a lot of amazing things that you will see your toddler do during these years. I want you to enter the toddler years understanding toddler development and behavior so you can better approach tricky situations with your child. With resources on picky eating, potty training, tantrums, and other common toddler behavior like sleep refusal and toddler development, the toddler resources here at Peds Doc Talk aim to provide you with the knowledge you need to, dare I say, find some or a lot of enjoyment in the toddler years. For more on my on-demand courses, make sure to visit pedsdoctalk.com and check out resources for whatever you need. Have a friend? It also makes a perfect gift. Visit pedsdoctalk.com and click courses for more.